How does a fixer become a fixer? Today, we are talking about the origin of the fixer personality. Welcome home. I am Heidi. I am so glad that you're here. I am the creator of attachment personality patterns. What are those? Well, it's a way to describe codependency. You know, codependency is like really hard to figure out, right? It's like, do I have that? What is it? <laughs> Basically, it's it's a way to function. It's You're born into a family dynamic. You survey the land and you go, hmm, who do I need to be in order to be okay? It's, if the family's dysfunctional, if it's not firing on all cylinders, if it's addicted, abusive, absent, dysfunctional, toxic in some way, we try to be okay. We try to survive, thrive, connect, or cope in that family. So we take on a personality or way of being in order to be okay. And that is codependency. It's a way to function in dysfunction. And I describe it as eight different personality patterns, attachment personality patterns that we take on. And the fixer is just one of them. So today we are focusing on you. Now listen, a fixer, you are such a good egg, right? Aren't you a good person? You know what needs to be done. You're an empath. You can see miles coming, what's gonna happen. And you try to prevent bad things from happening or fix them when they do happen. You know what people need. You try really hard to give it to them. You are such a good person. You are amazing. But what happens a lot of the times as a fixer is you end up severely disappointed and distressed, don't you? Especially when the people you're trying to fix do not take your awesome rad, rad advice and they end up not doing what you're telling them to do. And you can, that resentment starts to build and then you get really angry and upset and frustrated and just want to shake people and go, listen, I know exactly what needs to be done. Just do it. And they're like, I'm not doing it. It's like you attract a little wounded birds and you're like, bird, I'm going to fix up your wings and you are going to fly. And they're like, I don't really want to fly. And you're like, but flying is awesome. And I'm going to show you how to fly and you're going to fly and you're going to be in the wind. And they're like, I don't really like the wind and the rain. I don't really want to fly. And you're like, if you knew your potential, you'd want to fly. And you're trying to like fix the wings and the bird's resisting and doesn't even want to fly in the first place. And it's like, it's so frustrating. So let's talk about how this pattern happens. Now, every pattern comes out of a different kind of um, origin. And your pattern can, you know, if, if we work together, if you come into my program, which is called Life School, Love Yourself First Empowerment School, it's everything you need to know about this kind of stuff, but nobody ever taught you. It's an amazing program with fantastic results for your recovery. You will learn the point of origin for your unique personality. But I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to talk about mine and share with you and see if you can identify to start to pick yours apart as well. So nine times out of 10 for this particular personality, the fixer that actually comes from addiction or some other kind of dysfunction, um, addiction in particular, because when you're born into a family dynamic that is addicted, you, your question is primarily as the fixer is how can I fix this? <laughs> I know it's such common sense, but you actually believe you have the power to fix it because you are that empath person who does know what needs to be done. You're a go-getter. You're an action taker. You know, fixers make things happen. They're also known as the hero, but it's a little bit different as a fixer. Um, heroes like Superman and Wonder Woman, right? Like swoop into the rescue. But the difference between a fixer and a hero is that a hero loves the attention and support, but intrinsically they don't, it's, they don't really need it in order to survive. They don't need the feedback in order to feel okay. Fixers become fixers because there is no real love or connection outside 
of them playing their role. So a fixer feels love and connection by actually fix by actually fixing people. Like if a fixer, if I when I work with a fixer and I tell them you're not going to fix anything, you're just going to release and we learn how to detach. They are scared shitless because they're like, well, what's my value then? Like if, if I'm not helping everybody, if I'm not the rock, if I'm not the one that everybody turns to, who am I? They really are so afraid to lose that identity because again, underneath of it, they're not real sure of their true value and who they really are. So that's the difference. That's what makes a hero into a codependent is the motive that's attached to it, which is I'm really helping you so that I can endear myself to you. Now, Fixer doesn't like to admit that, but the truth is I bet you if you scanned yourself and you were like, why am I putting in so much effort? There is a piece of you that wants the other people to see how good of a person you really are. If they could just see how much you care, if they could just see how much you do for them, if they could just see how wonderful you are to them and how much you put up with and how what lengths you go to to help them, that they would love you, choose you, treat you better, respect you, validate you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There is a motive attached. Okay. So, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's your codependency programming. And that's what we have to learn how to undo and unravel. And that's what we do in life school. Now, if you're interested in doing that, see, I'm not doing this to like, uh, make you feel convicted, you know, or, or conflicted. I'm doing this to enlighten you, to turn the lights on in you so that you can take charge and control of your own life and your destiny and have the relationships you truly deserve. But you can't do that if you're operating on autopilot. You know, and you're just going about your life as a fixer and you think, yeah, well, this is just how I am. Well, it's just how you've needed to be, not necessarily how you really are or who you even really want to be in the world. You know, lots of times fixers decide they don't want to have, for me, I, I had caseloads instead of friends. I didn't have any relationships that didn't involve me being the one always running to the rescue. And when I decided to heal this within myself and seek mutually beneficial relationships that weren't one-sided, but that were balanced, that were giving to me as much, that were reciprocal, um, I decided I still liked being a fixer and seeing issues and problems and challenges, but that's when I converted to doing it for a profession in my, in my, in my work, my mission life. And in my private life, I have, I get filled up instead of sucked. Okay, not that I get sucked in my profession, but it takes a lot of effort, right, in order to help people and see things clearly. And a lot of fixers decide when they're healed that they actually want to help people. They want to do this for a mission and purpose. Uh, so let's dive into where it comes from. I know for me, I was always asking the question, you know, how can I get my dad to quit drinking? And how can I, um, on the flip side of that, uh, just restore peace into my family, have a peaceful family, you know, have, have a loving family. I wanted my family to match the picture I held in my mind of the homework card, you know, like I wanted, I didn't even know what that was, but I knew somewhere deep down, it, there must be a, a fantasy that can be a reality of that family. So I'm always thinking, how can I create this family dynamic? And 
you know, a lot of fixers um, do things as they're growing up. When the shit does hit the fan, they run in and sweep things up and make them, you know, better and cover up things. Not quite like an enabler will cover up things, but just make things better so that everybody can be okay when the shit really hits the fan. But I'm going to talk about something really specific as an adult that I did as a fixer. So my whole life, I wanted my dad to quit drinking. And it wasn't until I was in my 30s that he finally decided that he was going to go to treatment. And I think what had happened was my stepmom had finally threatened him with the only thing that actually he was afraid to lose, which was his work. And I guess, you know, she was just tired of covering from at this point and said, look, if you do not go to treatment, I'm going to let work know what's going on with you. And that was the leverage that he needed to get himself into treatment. And so, of course, what a fixer will do is research all the treatment centers, right? So I got to work and I'm like looking up the best treatment center and find the best place for him to go and figuring all out where he should go and what he should pack and what he should take with him. And then, and then I'm like, okay, great. Now he's going into treatment. You know, he got, he got himself into treatment. And then what I did as a fixer can be most related in everything that I did after that. Okay. And maybe you can relate to this. My dad had a little house up on the top of a hill in Westover, West Virginia, that was a ramshackle, shickety shack of a house. It was flea market fabulous, if you know what I'm talking about. Nothing worked, everything was half broken down. There were baskets everywhere, just like I have here, but they were, I mean, it was like dusty plastic flowers, one, one you know, a table with like two, two legs that worked and, and propped up with matches, you know. I mean, it, there was smoke on the ceiling, because one time my dad, he always used to try to light the uh, kerosene heater with a cigarette and his cigarette in his mouth and light a cigarette off the kerosene heater. I don't know if you've ever seen such a thing, but it's really interesting. Anyway, one time he almost caught the house on fire and there was black soot that was everywhere in this house. There were nicotine holes, cigarette burns in the couches. Um, there was beer stains on the carpet. Uh, there was nicotine on the wood paneled walls. I don't know how you saw it because the brown paneling, but there were brown paneled nicotine filled walls. It was basically a nightmare of a place. Flea market furniture that you, it just was terrible. Now the, the crazy thing was is like my dad actually made pretty okay money as a coal miner. Um, he was a coal miner. My dad was a coal miner, but again, just everything in the house was broke down. Cause that's what happens in an alcoholic house. A lot of times just, you live in squalor and you just put up with it. It's crazy. Even though there are a lot of really rich and nice alcoholics that have a beautiful home, there's lots of those too. And I work with those people every day that have beautiful house and the nice boat and everything so fabulous. And they're still a mess on the inside. So alcoholics come in all shapes and sizes, right? But anyway, I digress. So he goes into treatment and what did I do? I know you know, because you would do it too. You probably already did it. I went to work. I put on my cape dun, 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 and flew into the rescue and I scrubbed the shit out of that house. Okay. I had buckets and, and gloves up to here and you know, my hat and like my goggles to protect me from the, I don't know what, and, and just, you know, rubbing everything down and like rinsing the bucket out every four seconds because there's a black soot, nicotine everywhere. And then I took that wood paneling and I did what any right-minded person would do. And I painted it. I painted it white to just pretend, make it go away somehow. Painted everything, painted the cabinets, you know, got um, furniture where I could and bought new furniture and brought it into the house. I, you know, 
when we don't like a couch in West Virginia, do you know what we do with it? We burn it. We catch it on fire. I put it out in the pile and lit it on fire. It was like, burn, baby, burn. You know, it's a new day. My dad's coming out of treatment. We want a nice house. Took the plastic flowers out, put them in a burn pile. Ugh, put new fresh flowers in there. I mean, I ripped up carpets. I sanded railing. I painted the patio. I mean, when I tell you, that I did everything because I thought now dad is going to stay sober because he cannot come back into an environment like that shit house that he was in. He needs to be in a nice place. He deserves to be like king of his castle. This will keep him sober. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. Not in stop there. All right. Cause fixers don't stop. Don't, they overdo things. Right. So I, I just didn't stop with the house. Now that looked great, right? It was a masterpiece of a place of as much of a masterpiece as a shack shickle could be. It was a masterpiece. Then I moved on to the people and I proceeded to tell them how they could behave so that dad would stay sober. And I told my one sibling, Hey, listen, you know, he really is going to need a lot of support and you're really loving and caring. So you can come sit with him on the patio and smoke cigarettes and hang out with him. And if he feels like drinking, you know, you can be the one I told my other sibling, you need to stay the fuck away because you trigger him and you're, you smoke weed and you smell like pot and you're going to make him want to do it. So just get away and don't come back. You know, I mean, I was telling everybody fixers was like, here's what you need to do and you need to do and you need to do, you know? And, and what do we do? We go, we don't tell ourselves, right? We're so busy focusing on everybody else that we have no insight into ourselves. And I want you to understand something. This time I was actually still pretty dysfunctional myself. So when I was scrubbing up and painting and rolling that paint and had my goggles and my gloves, at the end of the day, when I felt so proud of myself for taking care of everything, you know what I rewarded myself with? A cocktail. And I would have several cocktails. I was a binge drinker at the time. I'd get so drunk and wake up and be like, my dad's going to stay sober. Can't wait till I finish my work today so I can drink. I mean, it just didn't make any damn sense, okay? Anyway, I was so proud of myself. I had done everything exactly the way that it needed to be done. I sat back on the patio with my cocktail and my cigarette and I looked around and surveyed the land and thought, success. I'm going to keep him sober. I looked up every meeting. I knew the meeting schedule when it was, when he got out of work, what meeting I could take him to and sit in the parking lot and make sure that he walked into the meeting and then sit there. And when he came out, what'd you talk about? You know, I knew everything there was to know about keeping him sober. And I was so proud and I waited and my dad was in treatment for about 30 days. And that's how long it took to clean that God forsaken house. And then I sat and felt so proud. And then my dad came out of treatment. And I showed him my handy dandy binder that I had with the entire schedule mapped out inside of where he was to go and what he was to do and how grateful I was. And then 24 hours later, my dad was drunk. And what do you think my first thought was as a fixer when 24 hours later, my dad was drunk? It was, what did I miss? What did I miss? How could I have missed this? What, what did I do wrong? What could I have done better? And that's the, the problem with a fixer is like, if I have to fix everything, then everything is, must be my fault. The underlying belief system of a fixer is it's my fault. It's my responsibility and it's my fault. Because if not, if it's not my responsibility or my fault, I would have been able to see 
I had nothing to do with any of that. My dad, it's my dad's responsibility to come home and see what he needs to do to stay sober. It would have been my dad's responsibility to look around at his house and go, this is a real shit show. Let's move. In fact, let's burn this house down and get a new one. You know, it's his responsibility to do all that. And I think that was, that was one of the first moments for me as a fixer where I started to look at this and say, man, man, what am I doing here? It really wasn't that just that instance though. After he got out of treatment, I still said, what did I miss? What did I do wrong? And I said, I bet you it's just that I'm not participating in his recovery enough. Yeah, yeah, that must be what it is. So a couple weeks later, um, we went to a family program. And this was my first experience with all of this. And by the way, I was still binge drinking at the time and I was still had my own life and relationships were a codependent mess, but all my focus and attention was on my dad. And we walked into the meeting and he had been out of treatment for a couple of weeks, like I said, but already relapsed and I knew he was relapsing. And we were sitting around in a big circle. And so, you know, my dad was over here. My dad was over here. My stepmom was next to me. I was here and my sister was next to me. And they were going around the room and the therapist was sitting next to my dad. And um, everybody was kind of introducing themselves. And he raised his hand and he goes, hi, uh, my name's Tim. And I've been sober for uh, 46 days. <laughs> and everybody, the therapist was like, wow. That's fantastic, Tim. And my stepmom was like, <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> praise Jesus. He has, by the grace of the Lord. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Jesus. You know, and I'm looking around and I'm looking at her and I'm looking at him. And you know what the craziest thing was at that family program? My dad was actually drunk at the family program. So he was sitting there under the influence and now he wasn't like three, he wasn't like three sheets to the wind gone. He was about two beers in deep happening, starting to buzz a little around. You know how it is when you're a child of an alcoholic, you know, if they've had a sip or a pint, like you just know, you know what I mean? How much they've drank. So uh, this was like, as my client put it last week, she said, you know, I reached a stop sign at the end of bullshit road. And that is exactly what happened to me. I reached a stop sign on the end of bullshit road that day. And I stood up from my chair and my dad was there drunk and everybody was celebrating him, including my stepmom. Oh, you're so good. And I walked outside. I grabbed my sister. I said, come outside with me to my car. She came out. And I said, it's, it's over. I'm done. And she looked at me, she said, what do you mean? We're here, we're at this meeting, you know, everybody's gonna, I said, Heather, he's, oh, I said, my sister, I said, he's drunk. And, and she said, he is? And I said, yes, he is. And now I use that superpower that I would have to pick problems out, to be able to see problems before they arise, to like, you know, catch things on the verge of falling off before they hit the ground. You know, I could see the writing on the wall and I said, this is, this is it for me, I'm done. And that was the day that I decided that I was going to remedy the fixer within me because the fixer within me was costing myself a broke down emotional state. It was costing me fixing other people was breaking me. It was breaking me psychologically, emotionally, financially, because I poured my own resources into fixing up that house. I went, I bought all the supplies. I bought the new furniture. I did all of that. It was costing me spiritually because I was mad at God. Lord, can't you like smack her awake and show where he's drunk too? I mean, I, it's just, I was at a loss and that was the day that I decided. And that was how the beginning of me creating this program started. 
which identifying the fixer, really I, I, understanding that it was a too big of a price for me to pay anymore, emotionally, financially, and physically, and psychologically. And so I, I created my program. All right, so can you see yourself at all in the airplane going overhead? Can you see yourself at all in this story? Can you relate? What is your fixer story? Do you want to share it with me? Will you leave a comment below and tell me some of the crazy things you have done as well? And by the way, in love, crazy I say, because look, we lose our ever-loved common sense mind, don't we, in addiction? It makes us lose our common sense. So we've all been there. It's great to know you're not alone, but it's even better to get the help and support you need. So if that's you and you wanna take the next step and you wanna rip the fixer up by the root so you can fully be your true authentic self and live your life for you on your own terms and have the life and relationships you really deserve, then I wanna encourage you to reach out over at lovecoachheidi.com, all right? Take excellent care of yourself. I'll see you really soon and I love you. Bye.